0: Daniel chapter 3, where we're studying together this morning, Daniel chapter 3. We've been looking at some young men in the book of Daniel that are so bold and so extraordinary and so exemplary that their life truly does dare us to be different. You know, what's happened to these guys is is so traumatic. Uh, They've been moved from Israel, a, a culture that shares their religion a culture where people believe the same things and government and media and everybody support what you believe and now all of a sudden they've woken up and they're in Babylon where no one supports what they believe. They've woken up in a pluralistic society where there are many, many, many gods and all gods are looked at being equally true and powerful. Now some of us probably say, that sounds like us. We didn't have to go 650 miles to experience that. We grew up in America. Today, in many of you can remember where praying in the name of Jesus at any public event was not controversial. We we grew up in a day where the view of Christians that Christians have about sex was so believed that Lucy and Desi would not even sleep in the same bed on their TV show. We grew up in a day where people actually wore suits to church, and now they stick out like a sore thumb, right? It was a very, very different day. And then now we wake up in a day where everyone tells us we're in a pluralistic society, which means that everybody does not share the same belief system. And and the push is that every belief system and every God is equally true. And it's a radically different time to live. And, And let me just say this, there's always tension in a pluralistic society. We've seen that play out over the last few weeks in Kentucky with that county clerk. There's incredible tension in our country about what she should have done or what she did do or what should be done to her or not done to her. There's tension, and it normally centers around these two topics. Religious tolerance, what exactly does that mean, and how do we handle evil and suffering? Religious tolerance would be along this line— Do you really believe that you're serving the one true God and that he is the way? Isn't that rather arrogant and intolerant for you to believe that? And when it comes to suffering, can you really believe in a God who's all-powerful and all-loving and yet still allows that much evil and suffering to happen to the world? Those are two very difficult questions. And here's what amazes me, is we're going back to this book that's 2,600 years old that we have sort of relegated to the Sunday school classes of our children, and we're looking at a story today that will address both of those topics. So let's go to Daniel chapter 3. What's going on in Daniel chapter 3? In Daniel chapter 2, we remember that Daniel had interpreted this dream, and the king had humbled himself. By chapter 3, we're 16 years later. It appears that King Nebuchadnezzar has gotten over his encounter with God at that point. He may even be a little perturbed in the statue that Daniel explained to him that had the gold and the silver and the bronze and then the iron. And so he has created a new statue. It is 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. It is not gold, silver, bronze, and iron. It is completely gold. It's so tall that on a clear day, you could see it from 15 miles. We don't know exactly what the statue was. It may be that Nebuchadnezzar is like, you know what? I've had enough of Daniel's picture of me being a toppling monarch who's just a gold on the head. Let me give you a picture of who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm this gold monarch that will not fall or it may just be a statue of a new God. But we get to Daniel chapter 3 and he's commanded that there be an incredible assembly of all the people. And when they get together, they're commanded, as soon as the orchestra plays, they are all supposed to stop and to bow down to this golden image. He's even threatened, if you don't bow down, he will throw you in the fiery furnace. And so it happens. And the orchestra plays, and everybody bows, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who stay standing. And the king is stunned. Look at verse 18 with me furious with rage Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them is it true Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that you do not serve My gods or worship the image of gold I set up Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. You know, this would be a really easy time for these guys to stop and to rationalize. I mean, here, here they are. This, this king is known to be a furious king who doesn't mind incinerating people. And so they could have, you know, we, we all rationalize, don't we? You know, we rationalize that uh, if, I drink, if I eat a Krispy Kreme donut with the Diet Coke, it cancels out the calories. Anybody believe that? Or, you know, if there's a cookie there and I just eat it in little pieces and crumbs, there are no calories to it. We, 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 we begin to rationalize those things. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have easily rationalized here. Well, we are going to bow down with our body, but we're going to stand in our heart. They could have said, I think this is what I would have probably come up with, you know, if, if, if I do remain standing and, and the guy kills me, then I won't be any use to God at all. So I better go ahead and bow. But listen to how they respond to this challenge. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of the gold that you have set up. What an incredible response. Let's deal with that first issue. I think the story of the golden image deals with the idea of religious tolerance. Because what's going on here? The, the, the fear of King Nebuchadnezzar and the fear of people in our day is that belief in an exclusive God leads to oppression. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar is dealing with. What he's doing is he's gathering the people to worship this God. Now, he's gathering people from all over his kingdom. They don't all believe in the same God. He's okay with that as long as they'll also acknowledge this God. He's not telling them, I want you to have this God to replace your God. He's telling them, I want you to embrace this God with your gods. That's religious pluralism. And that's what he's trying to convince them to do, is to bow down and say, you know what, there's nothing so special about our God that we wouldn't bow to other gods. That still is the fear in our culture today. Nebuchadnezzar is not an unintelligent man. There is some wisdom to what he's doing. If you want peace in a pluralistic society, it seems it's surface to be helpful that no one believes that their belief is the belief. Because often when people believe that, they do awful things. We have great evidence of that in our world today. Everywhere ISIS takes over, they murder all the Christians, along with even Muslims that are of a different sect than them. It leads to totalitarianism, and it's cruel. There's a quotation from one person today. He wrote a book called The Open Society and Its Enemies. It's okay to worship whatever religion you believe, but if you believe your God is the God who has the truth, that will ultimately lead to totalitarian behavior. You understand that? That's the thinking. And so now we're told a new definition of tolerance. It used to mean to be tolerant of someone was to still be kind and nice to them, even though you disagreed vehemently with their beliefs. Today, the idea of you and I being tolerant means there is no belief higher or better than another. Now, this is pretty foolish thinking if you think about it, because it's contradictory. For instance, we know the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross for us. The Koran says Jesus never died. Those are contradictory beliefs. Though our world would say every belief should be on the same level, there's no way for those beliefs to be on the same level. One of them must be true, and one of them must be false, whichever way you go. And this idea of tolerance, though in our culture, sounds so high-minded, it really is very dangerous. Would we really want tolerance if we lived in Hitler's Germany? Would we really want this kind of tolerance if we lived in a country taken over by ISIS? Which is fascinating, because Daniel is about a group of people in the Iraq and Iran area. And really, these people who preach this idea that all truths are equal... And that all truth is relative and that there is no absolute truths are doing the thing they accuse us of doing. For you to say there is no absolute truth is to make a truth statement. You can't get by with it. Everybody's going to believe something. Everybody's going to have some kind of philosophy. Now, their fear, again, is that we become intolerant. And that's the interesting thing today, is those who have preached tolerance in our country have today become the most intolerant of all. Listen, friends, they are okay with you being Christian, as long as you don't think it's the only way to heaven. That's why one of the biggest preachers in America a few years ago was on Larry King Live, and he asked him, are you willing to say that Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life? And he fumbled around and would not answer. Because everybody's okay with you having your God as long as you don't think your God's better than their God. Now, how do we answer this? And, and let, let me give you the answer because I think this is, this is so beautiful. We must understand the ultimate truth about our God He suffers, he bleeds, and he dies for those who oppress him. If people really understand the God we serve, and if we really get the God we serve, there should be no fear that we're going to take power and oppress others. Because even our God doesn't do that. He created us as creatures of choice. He's never forced anybody to do anything. And not only did he create us as creatures of choice, he pursued us all the way to a cross where God suffered, bled, and died. Listen to me, there is no record of any other religion that has a God who suffers, who doesn't lash back at the people who just condemned him, who cursed him, and who spit in his face. And so if you understand the God we serve, there's no way we're gonna become an oppressive totalitarian people If we do, we don't understand him. At the end of our story today, Nebuchadnezzar has another confession in God, but he doesn't get God because he says, if you don't worship their God, then I'm going to cut you to pieces. He doesn't get him. In times through history, Christian people, like in the Christian crusades, it's obvious they don't really understand the God of the Bible. And today, what do we do in a pluralistic society? My friends, we don't try to shove our beliefs down people's throat. What's our best approach is we got to reflect God. A God who loves, a God who pursues, and a God who doesn't force. We must be a people who reflect the self-sacrificing love of God. What's going to win the cultural battles today? What's going to win it is when we begin to act so godlike. when they see something in us that's like our God, so unusual, when they see a love they don't experience in the world, when they see us being willing to sacrifice even for our enemies, even for the people that are oppressing us, Then here's what's going to happen, my friends. It's going to open doors like with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for God to be glorified. You notice in the middle of this, they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to get in an argument with you. We're just going to stand on our principles. My friends, that's the challenge for us in a world that's afraid of us, that's nervous, that feels this tension because they don't understand the God that we serve. He's just not that way and neither will we be. Now let's go to the next issue. Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. Let's go to verse 19 and read the rest of the chapter. And watch that old story about the fiery furnace that says so much to us. The Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. And commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And to throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown in the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And those three men, firmly tied, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. And he asked his advisors, "'Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire?' They replied, "'Certainly, your majesty.' He said, "'Look, look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods.' Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, "'Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here!' So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor, was their, nor their hair or their head singed, and their robes were not scorched. Catch this. And there was no smell of fire on them. Can you believe that? Then Nebuchadnezzar said, this heathen God, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defiled the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save this way. What an amazing story. And now we address the issue of evil and suffering. You you see, the issue is this. Who wants to follow an all-laving, all-powerful God who allows suffering? That's one of the greatest questions we have. If God is all-powerful and he's all-loving, that means he's not impotent. He can do something about it, and he does care. How does he, at times, allow us to go through the fiery furnace There's probably nothing that's caused more unbelief over the last century than what happened in Germany during World War II when another Jewish minority was thrown into a fiery furnace. And a lot of people have walked away from that story going, if there is a God, how in the world did he let that happen? If he's that loving and that powerful, how in the world is that even possible? So how does this story help us? Because there's 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 one key element of this story that turns everything. It doesn't give you every answer to every question, but it gives you incredible confidence as we face this. The, the, the turning point is that when Nebuchadnezzar looks in that fire, he's thrown three men in the fire, but there now is four. And Nebuchadnezzar himself, not understanding even probably the implication of what he's saying, is there's one in there who looks like the son of the gods. Scholars call this a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus, appearance of Jesus. In the Old Testament, often Jesus is described as the angel of God, the angel of God. The word angel simply means a messenger. Now, there are lots of angels in the Old Testament... But only one who's identified is the angel of God. Only one who's identified like here who looks as if he's the son of God. And so this is one of those scenes where Jesus shows up before his incarnation. There's lots of them. He walked with Enoch. He spoke to Moses in the burning bush. He appeared to Joshua. He wrestled with Jacob. All through the Old Testament, we have these really weird little glimpses of Jesus showing up. And now, he shows up in the furnace. You see, we don't have a God who acts like Superman. Superman would have swooped down in the furnace, lifted them up, and everything would have been cool. That's not the way our God acts. Our God is the one who goes in. Into the furnace with his people. Here's the truth, guys, you got to deal with. The furnaces are going to come. In your life, you're going to face difficult times. No matter what philosophy or belief in God or lack of belief in God you have, everybody's going to go through difficult times and everybody eventually will die. The question is will you walk in those furnaces by yourself? Who are you going into the trial and suffering with or without? What God do you believe in that could sustain you through that? Here's our answer. Our God walks into the furnace for us and with us. Now let's, let's split that up just for a moment. He walks into the furnace for us. My friends, the Christian story... Is that Jesus came to take our place? It's the great exchange. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, when he gives the parable of the weeds, that one day in the end of time the weeds will be plucked up and they will be thrown into the fiery furnace. That's the punishment. For our rebellion against God, its its separation from God, it's so awful that incredible words can be used to describe how terrible it is to be separated from God like fire. And here's the truth of the Christian story. Jesus lives a sinless life. He is so perfect and has no sin that he is able and willing to take upon himself the burden and the punishment of our sins. Jesus is willing to go to hell to be separated from God on the cross for us. He goes in the fire for us. The preacher from centuries ago, Jonathan Edwards, was once preaching on Jesus sweating in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said this Why was Jesus sweating? He was sweating because he's about to be swept into the furnace and the door of the furnace was open. What does this say about our God? It says that our God is different than any other God. No other God in history mentions, is it mentioned he suffers, that he goes with us into our problems. And it's the ultimate proof of his love I look around this audience this morning and I think of many funerals that we've conducted here in this church. Many seemed right because it was at old age and seemed appropriate even though it hurt. But many seemed so wrong because your child or your brother or your sister or your husband or your wife was much too young. And we asked the question, why did this happen? Why did it happen? I remember doing a funeral in Pensacola for a two-year-old boy who was struck by an airplane that crashed close to the airport. When the pilot aborted his flight, the airplane went into the den of this house. The mother was on one side of the den, her little boy was on the other side of the den, and she heard him screaming. And the question was, why? And I want to be honest with you today, We don't have a good why answer. But we do have an answer to this question. And this is why this story is so important. We have an answer to the where question. Where is God when your child dies too young? Where is God when the jet hits? Where is God when you go through undeserved suffering? Where is God? He is in the furnace with you. There was a man that wrote not oh, just a few years ago about the death of his son. He had, the journal is called A Lament for a Son. Here's what he writes. Here's what he came to the conclusion. God is love. That is why he suffers, so that he can love our suffering world. God so suffered for the world that he gave his only son to suffer. The one who does not see God's suffering does not understand his love. It's an amazing fact that we have a God, despite our rejection and our sin, is willing to suffer for us. As a parent, today you understand that because you suffer when your child suffers. There's an old saying that I think has an awful lot of truth you're only as happy as a parent as your saddest child. Because to love someone is to suffer for them. If you do not suffer, you do not love. And you understand that. Because when your child goes through something and my child goes through something, and you have a hard time understanding it, and you don't like it, and you say in your heart, I would do anything to take his place. I would so much rather that I go through it than he or she goes through it. You ever felt that way, moms and dads? Here's the crazy thing about God. He did. He chose to go through it so that we don't have to go through it. And so the answer to the pain and suffering in the world is that we have a God who joins us in the furnace. He walks for us in the furnace, and he walks into the furnace with us. Only if you know that God has gone in the furnace for you do you understand today, whatever suffering you're going through, that he is in the furnace with you today. That's what we must believe. Because we can believe pie in the sky, whatever we want to believe. We can believe the health and wealth preachers who tell you, if you follow God, you're not going to have any problems and you're not going to surf, you're not going to suffer. Nobody preaches that in Africa. Because they know it's not true. We just have enough money to cover it up that it looks true for a little bit. But the truth is, you're going to suffer. And the answer to this problem is that you never suffer alone, that God is with you in the midst of it. And the second answer is that God uses our suffering as a doorway to freedom. Do you notice one thing about the story? What is the one thing that's not burnt up in the story? Oh, excuse me, what is the one thing that is burned up? I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and abednego they come out with their clothes. They come, they, they don't, this is crazy to me. They're in a fiery furnace that killed people, throwing them in it, and they don't even smell like smoke. My friends, I can't cook a hamburger outside without smelling like smoke. How about you? What's the one thing burn up? It was the rope that bound them. And this is the cool thing about our belief about suffering, is the ropes that bind us through suffering are burnt off. I mean, look, look at a passage, a couple passages in the New Testament, in a book about suffering. 1 Peter, go to 1 Peter, look at chapter 1 with me just for a second. He embraces suffering here. It's a beautiful thing. These have come, talking about their trials, so that the, pro- so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. My friend, suffering is not something that comes in your life just so you be close to God. That's part of it. It also comes in our life so that God can refine us as gold. Look just a couple chapters over. Chapter 4 verses 12 and 13, do not, my friends, do not be surprised, listen to these words, at the fiery ordeal that's come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the suffering of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Suffering transforms us into the image of God. I think any of us that are honest, When we've held on to God's hand in the middle of the fire has been the moments in our life where we've grown more and become more Christ-like. So let's sum all this up, my friends. What do we do in this pluralistic society where everybody says every belief is equal? What motivates us to stand up when everyone else bows down? Man, if you're watching the media and you're watching the way Christians are treated today and you're watching what's going on, there is an incredible temptation for us like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to fall down and say, you know what, I'm not going to claim that this is different. What motivates us to stand up when everyone else bows down? Here's the point in the story that Nebuchadnezzar hits the answer head on. He says this, no other God saves like this. Say that with me. No other God saves like this. Nebuchadnezzar recognized no God was like this except their God. And today we must embrace the fact that our God is different. As we sang a few minutes ago, he is holy as we believe he is the way, the truth, and the life. Because you're facing the furnace. If you're an atheist, you've already admitted you can go into the furnace alone. If you have just a general belief that there must be a God because this world, how could it happen without a God? It's just a general belief, but not a belief in a Christian God. You will go into the furnace with questions whether he will show up or not because you really don't know whether he loves you or not. But if you truly believe in this God you know that he's walking into the furnace with you. And you know because he suffers for you that he loves you. And therefore, we can have the kind of faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Go back to Daniel 3 one more time with me. This is the most amazing part of the chapter. When their life is threatened, they say, verse 17, if we are thrown in the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Here's the faith. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That is amazing faith. What do they say? God, God, we know you can deliver us. God, we know you can heal us some name it and claim it people today would say Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego should have never prayed the se- or had never made the second statement all they should have said is we know he can do it absolutely he's going to do it my friends that's not faith in god that is faith in your agenda faith in god says god i know you can do it i know you could heal me i know you could rescue me i know you could do this in my life but even if you don't, Don't. I will not leave you. And my friends, here's our dare today. Our dare today is to stand up with such faith. Everybody in this room, you're facing something or you will face something that doesn't make sense. And what we must believe is that we serve a God who has the power to deliver us. How great does he do We don't even smell like the smoke. And whether God wants to deliver us here on this earth or God seeks to deliver us when he takes us with him. As my good friend Alex Jackson said when he contacted that terrible, terrible disease and knew he was on his way unless God did a miracle and healed him. I'll never forget Alex saying, buddy, I am in a win-win situation. If God heals me, I'll win. If God takes me to heaven, I'll win. That's the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I challenge myself, and I challenge you, when everybody else is bowing, when everybody else is saying, oh, you can can be a Christian, you can serve God, just don't believe there's anything special about him. Don't buy it for a moment, because he's the only one that can take you through the fire. I dare you to have that kind of faith. So this morning, we're about to sing a song together as the worship team comes up here. And let me say to you, if today you're in the middle of the fire, the the God that we serve would say to you, don't be there by yourself. Jesus will be there with you. Look around. See in the midst of what you're going through that he's there. And try to ascertain as quick as you can what he's trying to teach you Because he's trying to mold you. So today, if there are people in our audience today, and you are suffering, and and what we want to say to you is you don't have to suffer alone. Not only is God there, but today this church will be there for you. We will pray with you. We will surround you. We will love you. And oftentimes God will use his people for his love to show up. Or maybe today you come in here and you're confused by the messages of our world. And you're thinking, why in the world can I believe that Christianity is the way? What right do I have to believe that this is different? Let me tell you, it is so different. It is so different. Even Nebuchadnezzar would say, there is no other God who saves like this. And if today you're looking for salvation, why don't you come to him? Why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?